What's up, friends? Welcome back to Rooted Wisconsin, where we are dedicated to authentically sharing the stories of the people who make Wisconsin home. I want to start kicking off every show by thanking you. Thank you for watching. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for that like on social media. Uh, it all means the world to us, and the growth since we've started has been phenomenal. And I can't wait to see what's next for the show. So, uh, And that's all because of you. So thank you for uh, being you. Thank you for subscribing. Uh, thank you for watching. And uh, we hope you stick around for a little bit. A couple of exciting announcements to make. One, um, we're very close to uh, nearing the end in this studio. And it looks like we are going to be moving into a new studio relatively soon. And I can't wait for the next stage of Rooted Wisconsin and everything that comes with that. So uh, stay tuned for more information on that. And of course, when you check out an episode and uh, we don't have the, the wall behind us, uh, know it's going to be the same content. Along with that, another development uh, with the show is I want to let you know that we kicked off a, a Patreon if you'd like to show support to the show in a different way. Uh, a few very small levels of 3 and $5 if you want to show support. There's a tip jar out there if you just want to give us a, a pat on the back. Or uh, there's a, the next level up if you want some exclusive content. Uh, I'm going to be starting to ask our guests two separate questions. And uh, that'll be exclusive content for Patreon uh, for our Patreon family. So check us out on Patreon if you want to show us support uh, in another way. But like I said, watching, subscribing, sharing on social media, all of that stuff is, is just as great. And, and we appreciate what you're doing and uh, can't wait to see where the show goes. And we're going to keep putting it together, hopefully for you, because uh, I really think there's value in long form content. And uh, I wanted to make something uh, come to life around Wisconsin because it's such a fantastic place and the people here are so uh, beautiful and wonderful. So that's what we're trying to do. Check out our Patreon, hit subscribe below and uh, well, below, depending on where you are. Uh, if you're on Spotify, uh, if you're on listening audio only, hit those subscribes. It means the world to us and we appreciate you. When you think of a starting point, what mm -hmm. do you think of? I think maybe like my first film, kind of getting that like out of the way, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Did you get a chance to watch it or anything? Yeah, yeah. I checked out some of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, super interesting concept. Uh, I was just wondering, like, uh, did that start from a place of passion for you? Or is that mm -hmm. something like a story that fell in your lap? Where did that come from? Yeah, so um, I... Uh, when I was in high school, I gave my phone number um, to like at a, after a church group. Um, we there was a guy like who had a little booth set up, and he was talking about mission trips to Haiti. And um, I really wanted to go, but it was like twelve hundred dollars or something. And I was you know in high school, and I just thought, well, you know, I'll just give him my number if any like opportunities come up eventually, and like you know don't have the money right now, but like maybe eventually I will. And it was like 10 years later, um, he called 
me and I was working 10 years later, 10 years later and I like answered and I never answer the phone when I like don't know a number, but I answered it anyway for whatever reason. And I was at, um, working at Kohler company as a video producer and, um, was kind of thrown off by the call. And, you know, he was like, do you remember me? And I was like, kind of, you know, um, and it started coming back to me, but he said, you know, I kept your number after all these years and we do have, um, uh, open, um, slot on our next trip and it's paid for like someone had to back out so it was um a trip to Haiti paid for and I just immediately said yes and didn't really ask like details you know like when are we leaving how long will we be gone I just was like yep I will totally do that and um he said well we leave in two weeks and we'll be gone for two weeks and I thought okay I gotta talk to my boss I think but yes like buy me the ticket and I did end up um, talking to my boss right after. And, you know, he, I was contracted at that time through Kohler, so um, I didn't get paid vacation. And I thought, you know, I don't need, to, you know, to be paid for two weeks or whatever. Um, but he had said, like, your contract doesn't allow you to take two weeks off. And I said, well, then I'm putting my two weeks in. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, I have to go. Like, I can't pass up this opportunity. So I had just gone... Um, on that trip just to like help build walls. Like we were doing like a dental clinic kind of pop-up thing. And I had met um, Sister Maria through that trip. And I like immediately was just like, this woman is amazing. Like her story needs to be told. And so then I came back to the States and like it changed my life, you know, just like seeing the poverty over there and how much she's helping and what she's doing and her mission and, So I fundraised for, I think, like a year um, and then rented all kinds of gear and went over there and shot for two weeks and then came back with a bunch of footage that was in a foreign language. And I'm like, I need to get this translated because I don't speak either language. Like, did we get anything? Yeah. (laughs) And um, so I sent that off to be translated and then I edited it for, um, it took me about a year and it was during covid so I had time. I was working as a bartender during that time. So I had like a lot of free time during the day and that that was like my full-time job. So Yeah. <clears throat> I was wondering that as a you know creating a documentary um I was just assuming you had like a translator there like telling you what they said because how do you know if you're getting how do you know the content oh is going to match what you're looking for? It was terrifying. Like I wrote questions and then I had a translator who was like there with me but she didn't go to the shoots. Like I was sent out (laughs) on the back of a motorcycle with a man that I couldn't like communicate with. And he was then doing the interview. So my questions got translated from English to Spanish or Portuguese, and then from Portuguese to French Creole. So like the translation twice. And then, you know, I'm sitting like monitoring audio and monitoring the camera. And I'm like, okay, did he answer the question? Did he ask the question? Like, I, I've i never felt so stupid in my life, honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, well, and helpless, you know? That's, yeah, I think yeah. that's probably the, be- the best term. Like, mm-hmm. you can't ask a follow-up question. No. You have no idea what they said. You don't know how, it, you, you know, mm-hmm. that had to be a creative trip on the back end when you got home to be like, mash it all together and totally. be like, how does this fit? Yes, totally. So yeah. how long... From when you were there the first time until you went back to film the documentary? Like, what was the... Um, I think it was two years. Okay. Yeah. I think I went in 2016, I think, for the first time, and then 20... 
No, I went in 2018 and then 2020. So I actually came back two weeks before they shut down the airports. Dang. For COVID. Yeah. It was like, if I, I mean, and Haiti like shut down their country basically. So like, don't you could know. have a huge documentary if it about two I weeks might later. Still be there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like like a living documentary. Not just, you'd right. probably speak, you'd speak the language. I would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's awesome. It's uh, well, life's happenstance, you know. Mm-hmm. Saying yes when an opportunity presents itself, you never know what it's going to come of it. Yeah. Well, yeah, and like just being uncomfortable too. You know, like I felt helpless. I felt really out of my comfort zone. But I think that's why I continue to do these projects is like to get myself out of my comfort zone, you know, and it, I like that feeling because I think it's important to feel uncomfortable a lot of the times to test yourself and, uh, you know, test yourself creatively too. Mm, that's where so much personal growth comes from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you reside in comfort, um, the, the boundary pushing stops too. You know? Oh yeah. So maybe back up a little further. What, um, how did your interest start? Like you, you didn't, uh, you you must have had some idea of creating a documentary at some point, or did it just like pop into your mind when you were there? Honestly, I think it just popped into my mind. Like I went to film school, um, but I was like, we didn't really have any like documentary classes or anything. It was more like, um, uh you know, narrative film, is that the word? Narrative film, like drama, you know, like that sort of stuff where you write a script. We had screenwriting classes and then it was more like, now, you know, come up with this story and then shoot at this, you know, however, pick your shots and like light everything really nice. And um, that was like cool for me, but I was like, damn, this is like a lot of work, you know, like, and for me, like my passions reside in like people's stories and like the humanity of, you know, like, how people, you know, people have to walk 10 miles to get water in, I can just walk to my sink. Like, so I think, um, I, I think when I was in Haiti, I was just like, okay, I think this is like my life purpose is to like make documentaries and tell people stories who may not have a voice and, you know, like bring their stories to life and have my experiences there kind of like, I want people to, who, if they can't, physically go to Haiti. I mean, right now it's like very dangerous, but if you can't go to Haiti, like at least watch this film and kind of, you know, hope that they can understand kind of like what I went through, like, like bringing that, um, experience to other people. Yeah. I was wondering that too. Was Haiti in a little bit different place when you were there Um, and filming this? Yeah. I mean, it's like very, very dangerous now, sadly, like Um, the mission group that I went with, like they haven't gone, I think in like two years, not only with the COVID, um, stuff that's still happening there, but like a lot of the, um, there's a lot of violence and a lot of like kidnapping and like, um, actually Maria, um, the woman who the documentary is about, she has like a couple of like hits out on her. So she has like a permanent bodyguard, it's kind of a lot to get into, but it's basically like the two countries don't get along the Dominican and Haiti. So they're like constantly at odds. And like, if she's helping in Haiti, the Dominicans are like, you know, well, she should help here. She's helping in both countries, but it's just like a, I don't know, generational, um, you know, the poverty there is just, yeah, it, it changes people and it makes people, you know, 
do whatever they need to do to to feed their families. So it's really absolutely humanity is a different thing as mm-hmm. po- as poverty rises. Human just humanity in general really adapts and mm-hmm. changes. Yeah. Um, and that like the counterintuitiveness of that, right? Like she has this amazing skill set mm-hmm. and not only that and drive to, oh my, <laughs> to and like, the patience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, that was, uh, one of my, one of my favorite parts of the documentary so far. Um, uh, I can't remember verbatim how they said it, but it was like, uh, she would find any excuse she could to be outside. (laughs) She finished like what? It was like a five-year program in two years or something. And everybody was like, how'd you do it? And she's just like, likes it. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't sleep. She wanted to be outside. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I can see that. I can see how, um, that, you know, some, that similar sentiment is some reason why I started the podcast is sharing people's stories. And I can see that how, like, when you come across stuff like that in life, it's like people need to know about this. And, and it's awesome that you have the skill set to make it happen. Thank you. Too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's sweet. So film school, uh, but never thought about documentaries. Uh, hadn't no. crossed your mind. I actually like wanted to be an actress ever since I was seven. Okay. So I was like, um, my parents were wonderful and supportive, like, I was shocked, you know, looking back, like as a seven year old, you know, like, okay, honey, you're going to be an actress. Like, but when I was 15, so like basically throughout high school, um, my mom and I would fly out to LA and like, I had an acting coach out there. So I did a lot of camps and things. And like, I was kind of like immersed in like that world from since I was like 14, I guess. So, but I decided acting was not for me. And it's just like, I like being on the other side of the camera, you know? Sure. Yeah. How did that happen? How did you make that decision to say that it wasn't for you? That uh, I think uh, that resonates with a lot of people. We all had a, uh, all's, a all's a strong word. It's all encompassing. But most of us had a dream at one time that uh, didn't happen. And it, a lot of times it's for the better. But the yeah. journey to get there and make that decision is always so poignant and difficult. So how did mm-hmm. that happen for you? When did it, Was it at one point in time or did it grow slowly? Um, That's a good, I'm trying to remember. I think it... Um, well, I think it was like, I got really into Wes Anderson films, um, and I wanted to like have the control of like the editing and like the directing process of that. Not necessarily like, um, you know, I wanted to like create visual things, I guess, rather than create like characters. So I think it just kind of switched like during school and I just kind of realized, you know, um, also, you know, everyone in LA in that area was trying to be an actress or an actor. So it was like, I just kind of like didn't give up on myself, but I just kind of like tweaked my dream a little bit to adapt to what happens. So Mm -hmm. did you have like, did you have like gigs? Did you act in stuff? Um, I had auditions, um, but I, not not while I was in college. When I was in high school, I did auditions for, like, Disney Channel stuff and, like, never got anything. But it was still, like, awesome experience because yeah. it, like, I still remember that feeling of, like, being terrified and walking into a room of producers and being like, okay, now do your monologue, you know, and hope I remember it. Um, but it, so I think, like, that helped me grow up, too, and just, like, be more of, like, um, comfortable with myself and, like, it helped with my confidence, I think. We're... People might think it like would do the opposite, but mm. it it helped like 
you know, grow a pair and get out there and do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and in that atmosphere, it's so competitive. Mm-hmm. Like uh, there, and I would guess, I don't know, I've never been there, but I, I would assume that they're looking for a specific thing that you don't know what it is. So oh, right. it's completely out of your control. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, all you can do is become resilient. Mm-hmm. Again, growth from uncomfort. Yes. Maybe that's our theme today, Paige. I think so. <laughs> might be our theme. <laughs> Okay, so that switches then, and then uh, you go to film school, and then it sounds like, what, what after that was the corporate gig? You went into... Um, after that, I moved. Um, so I uh, was dating a guy pretty seriously in L.A. Um, after I graduated. So I, like, moved back home here um, just to, like, I was just going to work at, like, a coffee shop and, like, save up and move back to L.A., um, but I ended up getting a job um, at a local production company, like kind of doing what I went to school for here. So I was like, "Hmm, you know, this is pretty cool. I might, you know, stay, save up money and then eventually get back out there. And like, I'm still here. So yeah. (laughs) Um, So it was a small production company in town here and then Kohler company and then um, another small production company. So I kind of, you know, um, got my feet wet in every like type of, um, company business mm-hmm. in town here so yeah before the before the first documentary seeds of life before that had, had you done any like have you had you done passion projects outside of like work or it was just focused on uh, kind of the day-to-day yeah it was just the day-to-day okay. I, I didn't really have a whole lot of time like I traveled a lot for Kohler which was awesome um I really miss that but um so I didn't have a whole lot of time free time to like do any of that Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I get that. Uh, it was um, when I left my my previous job in broadcasting. I, I figured I'd want to make content again sometime, but um, the job that I took at that time, and then that in coordination with kind of being burned out from content, uh, I stopped for a while too. But um, it takes a lot of time to to do creative things because it's it's oftentimes. Um, well, uh, like we don't always have a story like that fall in our lap right. too, right? <laughs> right. And yeah. then it's like, okay, how do you how do you maneuver this around life, right? Like you had to leave yeah. gainful employment mm-hmm. and yep. kind of take a step in the scary direction. Yes, very. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's it like um, as you take a step in in that scary direction with filmmaking in particular, what's it like? Uh, it's an expensive thing to do, and, and there's a bunch of like fundraising you have to try. What does that space even look like? Like, how do you? How does that work? Um, yeah. So I um, with the first film, I rented all of my gear, and at the end of it, I was kind of like, well, I could have like just bought most of this for what I paid in rental. So then this time. Um, I, a buddy of mine, um, just like retired from like doing wedding, um, videography. So he sold me most of his stuff for like a very like friend rate. So nice. I was just like, this is amazing. Like the I'm handshake. still, Thank you, still paying it off, but <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> yeah, but I was like, um, you know, now I can actually like have the freedom to like do my own stuff. Cause like, um, you know, I would ask, 
I have to ask a lot of favors because I didn't have all the gear that I needed for like for the first one. Um, and even for this, this next film, it was like, okay, I need someone with a camera. Like, can I borrow your camera please just for the weekend, you know, or like, can I borrow you and your camera because I need to do the interviewing or whatever. Um, so I've just been really lucky having like a support system of like professionals too, that have just volunteered their time. So like, if I, I mean, I haven't had to pay anyone like, um, for their time, but so this film, like I say, you know, my budget's like 10 grand, which people are like, what? That's it. But it's like, literally like, I'm not paying myself. I'm not paying like my wonderful crew. Like it's literally just like for music licensing, um, for the gear, for, um, meals. Like I like to feed people if I'm not paying them, we're going to go and have a meal. At least eat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but when you have a crew of, you know, six people, it's like 250 bucks for a meal and like, so things add up and, and gas cause I'm traveling now for, for this film. So I, I do try to pay myself with gas money and, and my crew with gas money. So yeah, the bare minimum, but <laughs> yeah, at least that's part one part with documentaries. You don't have some talent because that gets very oh expensive too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like the kind of the classic like fundraising that we see, like GoFundMe type stuff. Yeah, and, yep. I have a GoFundMe. Um, yeah, this uh, this film's been a little bit trickier to get funding for, just because it is like <clears throat> kind of a the subject matter. You know, people either are comfortable with it or they're very uncomfortable with it. So it, I've seen like so a lot of support like from my friends and um which has been super super helpful and like my you know like my the crew and the community um but it is like it's been tough you know like the I've applied for a couple grants um I apply uh, two local ones one of them um I still might get funding through I have to touch base with them next month but the other one um was not um really given an opportunity to like plead my case so it was kind of like but but I kind of expected it going into it it's a it's a tough ask for sure yeah and we live in such a PR driven world that anytime like there it could scratch the surface of like riling half the masses (laughs) right uh yeah funding it's funny um our last one of our last guests uh he does like waterway cleanup and um he contacted a couple, like he, he cleans a lot of lures out of local rivers. Yeah. And uh, he contacted the companies about like maybe collaborating and, and helping out. And I told him, I'm like, I, I, that's probably why you didn't get a response because of the negative PR that could come from that. Yeah. But it's mm-hmm. such like a, it's a good thing, right? Right, and right. I think, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, the, the, the shininess or the, the perceived shininess of PR, I think, takes away from the authenticity that I'm at least striving for with my I, conversations. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so that's probably a good segue into it. Let's talk yeah. about gold, your next yes. project. Yes. Um, how did the, how did this one come about? Um, yeah, this one, um, actually, I was approached by um, two of the women who are in the film. Um, they came to... Seeds of Life when it showed um, the premiere back in 2021. So they were at the premiere and they kind of approached me afterwards and said, you know, we kind of have a story for you. Not sure if you're ready to do another one yet, but um, they kind of like pitched it to me and I was like, yeah, like 
totally, this is what I want to do. Um, and I think like my, you know, my theme for my films has been giving a voice to people that don't always have one and also female empowerment. Like that's kind of the theme and trajectory that I'm trying to keep on. Um, and it took probably a year to, um, to meet the club owner, to kind of like foster the relationships um, with the women in the film, just because, you know, from my perspective, if, if I was in their shoes and, you know, some chick was coming in and I want to make a movie about you and like, well, what's your angle here? You know, like, are you going to expose us? Like, what's your, and it, so I'm grateful that it, that they were kind of, you know, wondering about like, like they were pretty hesitant, which was good, I think. And rightfully so, because it was, um, I mean, not only are they being vulnerable with their stories, but it's also like some of them have family members that don't know that they're dancers. And, you know, it was like all this level of exposure that they really had to think about, like, do I want to, you know, put myself in this situation? And like, I'm so grateful that, you know, the girls in the film decided to be in it and like sh share their stories. Cause I think like, it's such an interesting, um, it's such an interesting, I guess, like career path that you could take or, you know, a job, like everyone's interested in strippers, like, and it's a very, um, there's a lot of levels, um, to, you know, a strip club and like the culture around it and stuff is so interesting to me. So I've been learning a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So it was two dancers that approached you mm -hmm. and just wanted to tell the story of dancing. Um, so they are, they are current dancers. Um, and so they said, we have, um, this club up in, um, Iron Mountain area called the gold nugget. And it's in, technically it's in Spread Eagle. So I just think that's hilarious. At first yeah. I was like, that's not real. And they're like, yeah, it's real. And they showed me on the map. Um, and so uh, it, the club is different because it's run by a woman. And um, she was a dancer in the 90s. So she um, runs the club in a way that empowers women and kind of like, um, so let me back up. She, um, when she was dancing in the nineties, she saved up enough money to leave her abusive husband. And, um, that was kind of like the story that like hooked me was like, well, yeah, like you can make a lot of money, quick money when you're dancing and like leave your abusive situations. Cause like so many women are stuck in these situations that, you know, a lot of domestic abuse, like uh, there's a lot going on and if you're not financially st like stable and independent, you're kind of stuck. So that's kind of what hooked me into it. Sure. So, <clears throat> so they, they found the story interesting of like her and then yeah. the rest is kind of coming with it. Yeah. And so they work for her. They work at that club. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, you, you mentioned like the layers of what, uh, you know, that work is. And then there's also, um, a lot of layers around the people who, who work there. Um, where, where are you at with like filming content? Is all the content you have like done or are you still filming content? Still filming. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're right in the thick of things I, right now. Yeah. And I'm so excited. Like, um, I just shot, um, so I've been trying to do, like I use my crew, um, when I do like, you know, the, the big interview. So I sat down and talked with the girls for 
I think it was like an hour each at the club. And I had, you know, a crew of, I think it was five of us. Um, and, you know, in this industry, it's very like male dominated. So it was all men and me and, you know, the woman having a conversation kind of about like, you know, like, you know, sexual abuse or what, whatever, like their past. So it was like a space that maybe didn't feel so safe, maybe for either of us, just because I love the, the men that work with me, but it's just like, you know, there's still like a male presence. And so I wanted to go, um, to have that of course in the bag and then, um, travel to their homes, these women and just me and a camera and kind of get more into like the, the weeds of like, like, um, you know, their past and their upbringing and just have a more like comfortable and like, um, just have them feel more comfortable, I guess, and like telling me their story. And so I just went up and shot like a day in the life thing with, um, one of the girls on Sunday. And I'm like, so excited with what the content that I've got. And it's very cool. Very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, is it kind of coming to life that you're going to be like paralleling their stories with the owner's story type thing? Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have about an hour of footage on a timeline right now and I showed it to a very small group of like trusted people recently. And, um, just to get some feedback cause I'm so close to it now where it's just like, I don't, does this make sense? Is this good? Um, and you know, I'm moving some things around now, but, um, yeah, it's all, um, it's like little offshoots of the, the women's stories, but it's still like very much, um, about, you know, Dusty and like Dusty is her name, the owner of the club. So it's still about, um, you know, her and her journey and things. And was she on board from the beginning? No, I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, it's well, like a, I mean, I, I remember having lunch with her the first time I met her, um, and she like didn't really look at me like the whole lunch, and I was just like, oh man, this is gonna be tough, you know. Like I try to be like an open and like bubbly, welcoming person, but it was just like, you know, I, I felt pretty defeated after that lunch because I was like, I don't know if she's gonna be like cool with this. Um, the the younger girls um, were more open from the beginning, but still a little bit closed off, like. It took, you know, a year to foster relationships with them. So, and now they're honestly like my sisters and she, Dusty, like she's been amazing. She did so good in her interview, like so open and like, I, yeah, I was very happy with it. And you can, like, you can speculate as to why, right? Like we're, Mm -hmm. we're talking about the the nature of that industry Mm -hmm. and not looking at you might be her guard, you know, yep. that's, that was her guard up at the time. Totally. Feeling you out. Oh yeah. Getting, <laughs> you know, having lunch. Oh yeah. <laughs> but seeing if you're going to tell the story, um, I'm, I'm guessing that she would like told, Yeah. you know, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of stories just about that profession in general that, um, aren't all the times the real stories mm-hmm. I would assume. Right. And then in another way, like painted in a negative light, mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure that's what she was thinking, just yes. another like, you know, right. spotlight on all the bad instead right. of because the, the couple trailers that I've seen that you released from it, um, it seems like the, you're flipping that script. It's the yes. spotlight on the good mm-hmm. that can come from it if you use it positively. Yeah. 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 And the empowerment. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you been uh, like 
were you close to that environment at all prior to these two approaching you? No. No. (laughs) No, I had never stepped foot in a strip club before this project. And I actually grew up um, very in a very Catholic conservative household. Um, And so, you know, I have found myself over the years, you know, now I'm very comfortable with who I am and my choices and whatnot. But um, yeah, my parents like are not happy that I'm doing this story. And like, you know, it's like a lot of, um, but personally, like, like we were talking about earlier, being uncomfortable. I, when I went to the Nugget for the first time, I was just like, you know, because I went up there, I think twice before I started filming anything just to like experience, you know, what that club was like and what the customers were like and the girls. And um, I was so uncomfortable. I was just like drinking PBRs in the corner, just like not looking at anyone like, this is so crazy. I went by myself too, you know, and it's just like, okay, who's this, you know, is she a dancer too, you know? Um, But it, uh, I've become a lot more comfortable with the club atmospheres. Um, I, recently went to another club um just to like you know see other clubs and atmospheres and the girls and like how the rotations go and like what the customers are like just for my own like research and things and um yeah I mean it's it's a whole nother world and it like I still get a little bit uncomfortable um just seeing like some of the how some of the men like interact with the women and it's you know, part of me wants to like step in and be like, you can't treat her like that. But then it's like, you know, okay, I gotta, (laughs) this is her job. She's at work. Like she, she is in control, you know? And that's like a very, that's a, it's a cool thing for me to like understand and see. And like, it's, I mean, it's still a learning experience for me. Yeah. So how long have you been filming? Like in that, like, when did you start? I started in April. So, um, in April we, I think it was in April. Yeah. Um, we did like, just like some still photography up there, um, for like the promotional footage and stuff. Um, and then I filmed most of the trailers when I was up there in April. Um, so yeah, it's, I've, I think I've been doing like about like a shoot a month typically, um, or like an interview a month. How does, how does working on a project like, like, like that go as far as like, when do you know you have enough footage? Yeah. Or like, because you can probably, I, just kind of working through it, like imagining myself in that, mm-hmm. you have to like open door after door that you're like, okay, this needs to be explored. Oh, yeah. This needs to be explored. And it can turn into like this endless project, right? Yeah. I keep saying this could be a docu-series. Like I have, I already have so much footage and like um, I keep finding these rabbit holes too with like each of these women's stories where it's like you know they have some sort of experiences with like um you know for example there's um there was like a recording that one of the girls took recently and like showed me it and stuff and I was like this is a whole nother like you know rabbit hole of like the customers, you know, the customers that come into the club, like what they're dealing with. And like, you know, there's just so many different angles that like things could go. So I have to be very focused. And like, I actually have been getting a lot of messages from women who have worked at the Nugget saying like, oh, you know, I'd love to like share my story and stuff. And it's been really hard for me to, to be like, you know, I can't have 25 girls in this film. Like I wish I could, but it's just like, that I'm going to lose, you know, the, I, 
it, then it then it becomes something that's like almost too chaotic. You know, it has to be like a little bit more focused. Um, mm-hmm. So, it, it that can probably get outside of the story you're trying to tell because that can quickly that could become like soft white underbelly ish. Have you seen soft yes, white underbelly? Yes. Yeah, and fascinating content fascinating. too. And you yeah. can do an awesome job with it, but mm-hmm. it doesn't seem exactly what you're trying to do with no. this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, it's going to focus on two dancers and the owner. Um, yeah, two, or th- two or three dancers. Um, it's. Yeah. And then I'm also trying to, um, there will be a man interviewed. Um, he's the, the bouncer, like manager of the club. Um, and he's worked there for a long time. So I, I want that perspective because like the themes that are coming from this, which again, documentary filmmaking is kind of like easy because it's just like, well, you know, it just comes together and then it's like, okay, now I'm like finding these themes and can pick out like, commonalities and a lot of it is like the sisterhood that goes on at this specific club which I think is like amazing because a lot of from what the girls have said a lot of other clubs like the women are kind of pitted against each other and like there's a lot of like jealousy and like um cattiness and whatnot but at this club like they're all like best friends and sisters and every like that's also a theme throughout the film too is like um the sisterhood that they have and like they support each other and like most of them are sober which shocks me because like I if I were to be a stripper I would need to be wasted probably (laughs) but like they're you know they're keeping each other accountable and like that's another beautiful part of like this club in like the middle of nowhere like supporting everyone supports each other it's so cool yeah leads me to a couple questions I had been thinking about um one being what uh, or, or have you you said you went to a couple other clubs to like contrast ha- have you had the chance to do that um, in depth or thoroughly because like that being a woman-owned club I'm assuming there probably aren't many of those no. that, that's just me making an assumption yeah. I have no idea but right. um, that is probably far outside the norm is, mm-hmm. is that what you've found so oh, far yes. mm-hmm Yes, very outside the norm. Um, there's uh, in Dusty's interview. Um, I think I think it'll make the final cut of the film. But she talks about like how um, you know people will come in and they'll say like, "Where's the big man?" And she's like, "You're looking at him." <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I'm the owner, and like people are just shocked constantly. And like even dancers that come and like dance for her, like there for the first time, they're like, "She's the owner," you know, like. And I'm like, that's so cool. It's badass. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, kind of along with that, have being in that uncomfortable environment, like uh, have have you run any, into any like precarious positions yet? Mm. Um, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, there was the, the club that I went to um, uh, a, a little bit north probably like 45 minutes. Can I say the name? Is that fine? Okay. I went to North Point, which is like right off the highway, kind of in, um, I think it's in Peshtigo technically. Um, but like the girls had kind of told me like stories about that place and like how rough it is and whatnot. And it was like tiny, like the club itself was very small. And, you know, I walked in and, you know, of course I'm like, always like the only woman at the club who's not a dancer um but the girls were all like talking to me because like 
I know the most of them and like, um, we were all kind of, you had gotten to know most of them just because they know what you do. Um, so yes, I guess. But the two girls who, um, work at the nugget also work at North point once in a while. Okay. Um, so they were there that night. So like they were introducing me to all the other girls and stuff and like telling them what, what we were doing. And, um, I just noticed that like a lot of the guys were like, kind of like, they seemed kind of pissed off because I was like, taking the girl, you know, like the girl, or I was, um, distracting them or whatever. And it was like, they wanted to talk to them, but, um, they were talking to me and stuff, which was kind of funny. Um, that was really, that's really been the only like precarious thing I mm-hmm. would say. It was just like, dudes are like jealous that I'm there or <laughs> something that the girls are talking to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they probably had a vested interest too in you because with the other two girls working there, they, uh, you said you've been angled to see if you could have more in the documentary. Yeah. Uh, there's probably this whole thing of like, they want to talk to you to yeah. see, you know, uh, several different angles you could think of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That's fascinating. So what, um, how would you say just in this little bit of time, your perception has shifted of what you thought that atmosphere was like before you started shooting to now where you at? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's like totally changed. Like I, um, from like, you know, being so uncomfortable and like, you know, um, well, there's also another like side of, um, I think the most fascinating part of all of this is like, you know, most women have had some sort of sexual trauma in their lives. It's just kind of how it goes. And, um, you know, personally I have also. And so being like, you know, at a, at a place where women have walk around, you know, half nude or nude when there's, you know, strangers, strange men around, it's like that to me is like quite shocking. And like, you know, I wasn't like, I was okay with it, but it, it like hit me differently, I guess, the first couple of times that I like saw that. Um, and so it's just been my own personal growth of like working through my traumas through this documentary too, which I didn't even realize that that was going to happen. Um, but it has been, and like most of the women say, you know, we have had sexual trauma, but we do this, like we're on stage as like, it empowers us because they can just say no and mean no, you know, they, um, if, if they, if there's a customer like bothering them, they'll just be like, can you get this guy out of here? And like, he'll be thrown out. So it's like that, like taking control of like, I can tell this guy no, and it's going to mean no, like for, for real, for real. So that side was very, um, like inspiring and eye opening for me where I was just like, wow, that's, yeah, that's like a whole different take. Like I wouldn't have assumed, you know, I, I don't think I could ever do it because, but then again, like if you look at it from that way, it's like, well, that's very like inspiring. And I thought it was like backwards, I guess at first, but now it makes like total sense. So, um, yeah, I've just been like, and yeah, I mean this, this whole process has really helped me be more confident and like figure out who I am too, like through all this, because the women are so supportive of me and I'm like so supportive of them. So it's like this really cool, like I'm growing a lot, like, you know, personally too, through this whole process. That's so awesome. Yeah. So when you decided, 
that this project uh, was something that you'd pursue. Um, you mentioned your personal experience there. Mm-hmm. Was that, um, did that come into consideration? Did it push you away from wanting to do it? Did it make you want to explore it? Mm-hmm. Um, that had to be a trip in itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it pushed me away a little bit from it because I was like, you know, um, <clears throat> don't really want to like, I'm, I consider myself pretty much healed from that trauma, but like, I wasn't sure what would come up, you know, like, especially like being in a club, just simply being in a club or, you know, s- seeing men look at women in that sort of way, you know, like, um, but it ended up being like even more healing, I guess, just because it, um, again, pushed me out of my comfort, comfort zone. But I also knew that I was safe, you know, the whole time too, that I was like there and like, you know, I'm in control and and that. So it ended up being like very helpful with like pushing myself to, you know, deal with the uncomfortableness and like grow and heal. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, uh, that could be another, um, intended or not, however you decide to do it, uh, another outcome of the project in general. Because um, I'm sure there's so many dancers all across the world that are in different places on that spectrum mm-hmm. of healing compared to what's happening. Because, I mean, you're right, I, I think you mentioned it earlier, but the, the stats on um, like women who have experienced that those situations are insane. Yeah. So, um, and I'm sure there's some sort of, uh, whatever you want to call it, there, there's a certain amount of dancers who, uh, that's one of the primary reasons they do what they do, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So like that spectrum of healing, if mm-hmm. you can move that needle mm-hmm. in a way is so, so like, deep. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. And I think like it can go the other way too, which like I haven't personally seen, you know, or met any of the, any girls that like go the other way, but it could also be like, you know, a little bit, it could be very triggering. And then, you know, you could kind of spiral the other way too, which is like very sad. And like, I would hope that that doesn't happen often, but it could, I could, I could see, you know, myself doing something like that. So. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Towards the negative side. And mm-hmm. that's, um, you know, hearing the situation that you're, you're sharing, that's probably one of the beauties of that environment is, uh, we find, uh, we find, well, yeah, I mean, you're finding comfort in community with people that you didn't know you would. We mm-hmm. all find comfort in community. Yeah. And, when you have those things in place, different support systems, it's more likely to um, go upwards instead mm-hmm. of downwards. Similar yeah. to the, we were talking about poverty earlier, yep. same concept. Mm-hmm. Um, when, uh, you know, things, uh, we can often push things in a different direction, but we're either fighting a force or going along with it, right? And uh, we don't always have control over which one of those things it is. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> do you find that heavy? Do you, do you find that heavy? Do you find it to be any type of um, any type of burden or weight on your shoulders when you think about how you're trying to share a story 
what is, what else does that do you carry with that? Do you feel a certain yeah. weight with that? Yeah, huge. Like I feel like a huge responsibility to like protect the girls, you know, like I don't ever want to put anything in the film that's going to make them uncomfortable or that, you know, like is going to compromise their safety. Um, and I think that, you know, it's such a touchy subject because people have such a um, preconceived notion that like, oh, strippers are drug addicts and they have daddy issues and traumas and all this stuff. But it's like, well, I mean, we all kind of do. Like we all have our We all have traumas. stuff in our, in, our ta- <laughs> in our, you know, tank or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a lot of it's messy and it's just like, I don't want to like... Um, like dwell on the negative, you know, of like a lot of the traumas and whatnot that these women have gone through, but their stories are their stories. So it is like, I do have to include some of the like gnarly details just to like tell, you know, tell their story and who they are. And it's like, it's easy because like they have been so honest and open with me, but also like on the back end, I'm just like, I hope I'm doing these girls proud. Cause like, you know, it's a lot to sort through and it's a lot to, I, I just come at it of a, like, I come at this whole project from a place of like, my heart is like on the table all the time. And it's just like, I just want to tell their stories from like the best place that I can. So I just, I think just through love, it'll all like come together and mm-hmm. love and support. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so going back to that question about, um, pushing you away or bringing you to it um did it uh, along you know thus far in the process mm-hmm. has it um helped in your in your journey like would you say it's it's been a net positive for you yes yeah. totally yeah like unexpectedly too you know like I've actually in my like personal life too I've just learned to like set boundaries and kind of like um it's it's weird. It's like been a trickle effect. Like it's just like, it started as like, you know, healing more from my sexual trauma through all of this. And then the sisterhood and then, you know, just like, like not really caring what people think, I guess too, which has been like, I'm a people pleaser. I've always been that way. And like, for whatever reason, something's clicking and it's just kind of like, it might just be the subject matter being so taboo or whatever people want to say about it. But, um, I've just been like, yeah, setting boundaries and like figuring out like, you know, who I want to surround myself with and the support system that, that I do have from my chosen family of like my friends, um, have been like very, very supportive. And it's just been like helpful. Cause I don't have, yeah, I mean, my family hasn't been like the most supportive. So that's been a little tough, like just, um, but also like it's been good because then I can set boundaries and figure out those relationships and like how to have them, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of things in there freeing in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Overall that, that feeling is freeing. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to dig too far. So uh, feel free to go wherever you want, but um, that that seems kind of I, uh, ironic, isn't the word? It seems maybe unexpected because you mentioned that like you had a very very supportive family of your dreams early on, and then uh, 
something content related can turn the turn the tides a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's um, not. It's content related, but it's also like um, I just like fell away from the faith a couple of years ago, sure. um, and haven't really looked back. And I think that that really disappointed them. Um, so that's been like one of the things that has been a struggle for us, like to try to find, you know, a common ground and like to not feel like a constant disappointment to them and stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I think that, um, kind of, you know, I, f- I found myself more in my later twenties and, now that I'm 32, it's like I feel very confident with who I am and I'm happy with who I am and like love myself. And it's, well, I'm getting there, but it's, um, it's just been like, I wish that they could just kind of like, you know, support no matter what. And it just hasn't been happening. So it's, um, yeah, just like finding a new relationship with my parents, I guess, at this age, in this mm-hmm. point in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Appreciate you sharing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's probably, uh, that's probably some of the, some of the comfort in community, right? Once you start having these conversations with, with others, uh, at a deeper level, mm-hmm. right? Because you, uh, that's not somewhere we often get to, especially with strangers. Right. Yeah. And I, I wish we could more because there, there's so much value in sharing authentic humanity mm-hmm. and, um, that you're probably you have a front row seat right now mm-hmm. to yeah. all of those conversations. And that has to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So thinking about that, uh, what is the, what, what kind of timeline are you on? Like, how do you know when this thing is ready to go? Yeah. Well, with my first film, I honestly like had to, schedule the premiere before I finished the film because I was like if I don't give myself a deadline like a hard deadline you're a deadline person yes (laughs) and I'm a procrastinator so I think I was like editing I was changing things up till like two hours before like the premiere yeah because I was just like this has got to change this has got to change but you know when you're working on like art or something it's like it's never done how do you know it's done um so I don't know if I'll ever know like when it's done. I think I'll just get to a point where I'll be like, okay, like I need to put this out there to the world, so I need to schedule a premiere, and then I'll still be like feverishly editing two hours before. That is mind blowing <laughs> to me. You really? edited something two hours before it premiered. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, and then of course you know I'm sitting there at the back of the uh, theater or whatever, just like, oh my god. I change I should have changed that oh my gosh but you know no one noticed anything like everyone was like oh it's fantastic it's great and then I was just like okay then I'm then I'm done like Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna be too critical of my stuff so um I'm hoping to have everything filmed before March and then I'm hoping to premiere like late spring summer okay so So you're beginning to set that deadline on yes. yourself. I yes, I am. I love it. A really good friend of mine uh, calls it being pressure motivated. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he That's says he's very, very good true. at being pressure motivated because he's a procrastinator Same. too. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, that's, uh, I think I can empathize with that too. The, the combination of 
being a bit of a procrastinator and then also a perfectionist mm-hmm. at the same time. Uh, another uh, friend of mine uh, calls herself a uh, recovering perfectionist. Oh, yeah. And I think totally. there's a lot of value in that, right? Yes. Especially in the creative realm because yeah. uh, we were talking before we came on, you asked me some of the mistakes that had happened with the podcast. Yeah. Similarly, I have one that drives me nuts, but no one would ever tell to right. the person they, they, they don't even know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that has to happen consistently, right? One thing, you know, this leads me to a question. You have to have so much footage that you you get. How do you pare that down into what you're going to use? What's your process? Because like... It's messy. You, it has to be, right? You have to... It, like there has to be some level of organization to it um, where you, you jot down times when things that are gold mm-hmm. are going to yeah. go in. Yeah. Um, but what does that look like for you? How do, how do you take all of that footage and plan what you're trying to get out of it? And then it, I'm sure it ends up being not what you planned. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, then, yes. and then how do you turn that into, you know, whatever, 50 hours of footage into yeah. a one-hour documentary. How'd that happen to you? First one, how's it going with this one? How do you plan yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because um, when I, for my um, my salary job, my day-to-day job, um, I'm an editor mostly. Um, so I work closely with another editor. So um, there's two of three of us total at the company, Shift Visuals, and um, two of us edit. So like in any given situation, like we might need to jump into each other's projects. So like we have the same, like, you know, we're going to subclip everything. So it's like you take um, bits from the interview and then you just like write yourself notes on it. Like you can do it on the clip itself. So you just say, you know, like they said this and whatever. And then you can like, it's very organized. That is not the case with like my personal <laughs> stuff. I literally um, just go through like I put the entire interview on a timeline, and then I will cut like my voice out of everything. So like I'll just listen to like the answers, and then if I think that it will fit in somewhere to the film, I like just move it up a little bit, and then like the, so then I just take all the like pieces that are moved up, and then I just transfer them to another timeline. <laughs> and then I go through and then I think like, okay, now I got to organize this, but like nothing's labeled. So, you know, I, I get too excited, I think about like getting stuff together that I kind of bypass the whole organization part. And sometimes I get burned later on, but so far it's been okay. <laughs> At Other least than, it drives your passion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Other than lining up the audio, that's been, yeah. that's been a journey. <laughs> yeah. I could see that. I could see because you come across like, Ooh, this, this 45 Mm -hmm. seconds is fantastic, but how does it fit in? Ooh, this 30 seconds Mm -hmm. is great. And I was trying to picture that in my mind, Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, since we started talking about being on the show and everything, uh, I was thinking about how that would, that would like, I'd have to figure out how to do that because like me too, it would be messy and Mm -hmm. I would have things everywhere and I'd get excited in the moment. I'd Mm -hmm. have a big pile of things that like, Oh goodness. Now, how does that go in a line? Yeah. 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 Does does it help doing the, having the first one done or is the process way different? It's way different, honestly, just because it's in English. This one's in English. The other, the other one was a foreign language. So that whole editing process was like totally different because I had, um, you know, my translation document up and then I had, um, time code. So I literally just kind of cut 
like I would just cut and drag. Like it wasn't, I wasn't like second guessing like, well, you know, do I have like another way that she said this or he said this, you know, but it's just like, oh, well, that's what that is. And I'm going to slide it in there. So it's, um, it's a different, different process for sure. Cause like now I'm looking for more like, you know, inflections and tones and things and like, um, but you know, it's hard for me to like cut things out too, where like, um, I'll just put like way too much of this, like kind of the same story or like too much of the same way that someone said something. And it isn't until like I, you know, I showed my small group of friends and they were like, oh, well, she said that like twice. Like you don't need that other part in there. And I was like, oh yeah, that's true. You know, I just, I'm like a more information rather than less. And I need to like, that's one thing I'm trying to work on is like just cutting more stuff that like is fluff, I guess, out of things. Yeah. Is it invigorating to have a passion project going when you do it day to day too? Yeah. It's funny. Cause when I listened to your and Maddie, Maddie's conversation, you guys talked about this and it's yeah. like, I was thinking about that. Um, I mean, it's tough. Like some days I'm like, I don't want to, you know, sit at a computer and edit into the night and like be doing this. But, um, I think like, because it's such a path, like I'm so passionate about this one that it's like, it really, I'm excited to look through footage. Like it doesn't feel like work. Like I, it's, I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's almost like a like out of body experience sometimes. Cause I'm like, Oh man, like have I been sitting for three hours now? Like, you know, I need to get up and walk around. Cause like it's, yeah, it is time consuming, but it's also like, it consumes me totally. Got it. And I haven't felt burned out at all. Knock on wood. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. 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 We did talk about that because like, uh, in that conversation and now again, when I hear that, I, I put my, I try to put myself back in the shoes of like, you know, 40 hours a week making content. And then would I have started a podcast right. at that time? Right. And as you know, the conversations tell me yes, that I'm getting to have with awesome people tell me yes. But uh, I don't know if my drive would have let yeah. it happen because right. it's like, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I felt like I needed time away, but that's awesome to hear that yeah. it still is an escape. Even you're doing the same, you know, the same clicks. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, my, my bosses have been amazing too. Like if we don't have, you know, a whole lot going on, like they're like, just work on your stuff. Cause you're still like do working on your skills and perfecting your skills and whatnot and learning new things. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're supportive of the ex. That's yeah, hundred percent key. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So they've helped like shoot it and they've helped with audio and stuff and like graphics. Cause I'm not a graphics person, so they'll help with graphics and yeah, it's like amazing that they're supportive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now when you think of it from film school until now, mm-hmm. um, what, what is your reaction to where you've gotten to? Hmm. Um, it's interesting. So like, uh, film school, um, I, I loved my professors. I learned a lot. Um, I graduated in three years instead of four. Um, but they have not, my school itself has not been like supportive at all of like my projects, which has been really weird for Even me. Even the first one? Yeah. Yeah. Not at all. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's a whole thing. We could do a whole other podcast on that. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's been like I've questioned myself like a lot, and it's I think it's just because like I have a lot of non-support in my life too. You know, like from my my family and then like my school. Not you know, it's like. I wish people could just look past the like subject matter and look at the actual story and what I'm trying to do. Cause it is like, it's a good thing. Um, and I think just like, I question myself, like, am I, is this like what I should be doing? Because you know, you have angel and devil on your shoulder and Mm -hmm. it's just like, you know, like I have a voice in my head that try, like I sometimes try to bring myself down and I don't know why, like where that comes from, but it is like, I question myself, but, um, I also have to remember, like I am, I, my first film won awards, like I'm an award-winning filmmaker, like, and that's, you know, what kind of lifts me back up out of the whole, like, oh gosh, you know, is this good? Like, what am I doing? You know, I question myself a lot, but I think, you know, that comes with the, the confidence and the self-love that I'm learning through this whole process, too, is like, I'm doing it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's so hard in the creative space, too, because yes. our... Um, everyone has opinions, too. Yep, everyone. And a lot of that, I believe, uh, a lot of that perfectionism mm-hmm. comes from that feeling mm-hmm. you're talking about. Because in the creative realm... No one is ever going to judge the content more than the creator. Right. No one ever looks at it the same way or in the same level of depth. And that's on one side what makes a lot of great things great. But on the other side, it's what keeps a lot of great things from being great. Because there's all kinds of stuff in the world that is sitting on a shelf somewhere Mm -hmm. because of that feeling. Right, right. And that's a travesty. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And I, I think like, at, you know, at least I can put myself out there, you know, and if it's not good, it's not good. But, you know, it doesn't matter because these are, I think, you know, all art should make you feel something. And like, I, I want to feel and I want people to feel. And I think that, you know, if it's sitting on a shelf somewhere, like that is so sad because it's like, you, you know, what's that going to do? <laughs> what's that going to do for the world and for people? Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I hope that people, you know, don't do a whole lot of that and they just can put themselves out there. Yeah. So, um, we talked a little bit about your, uh, trying to find distribution for seeds. Yes. Um, so it's temporarily kind of on a shelf right now. It what is, what yeah, is that true. like? What is that like as like a, you know, a filmmaker, uh, how, what's that process? It's it seems pretty heavy and yeah. really in depth and and with a lot of moving parts. What what's been your experience with trying to find like distribution and? I actually haven't even really done much. Like I've you know I um, don't really know like who to talk to. I guess like about that whole process. Um, I did have a a friend. Um, he works for uh, PBS. And I was like, dude, if you can get Seeds of Life on PBS, I would die happy. Like, that's like my goal is to have like a film of mine on PBS, do like the independent lens, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's, um, I haven't really heard much. And that was kind of a recent thing, like maybe a couple of months ago. But um, I, 
yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't really know where to start, I guess, with that whole process because it's just kind of daunting to me. And it's like, then I get, because um, I've done a few film festivals where they say, you know, oh, we could put your film online like through our database, but then I'm thinking like, well, can people download it then? And like, then I'm not gonna like, not that I need to make money, but like, I want to know where my film is like living, I guess, you know, like, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just like, a, I just need to let go of it, I think. But, um, it's like hard to trust people too. And like, okay, you know, what are you going to be using my film for? And, like, are you going to, like, download it and, like, re-edit things? You know, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. But that's (laughs) the stuff I think about. I think there's a conversation there. Uh, One of my favorite music artists uh, is named Jason Isbell. Um, And he got asked a a lot, or he got asked a question that's floating through my mind right now. But hearing you say that, um, it was about uh, his song. He has a song that's been covered by a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. And then... um, it was covered by one person in particular who I think shortly afterwards had some like PR negative stuff happen. Okay. And it kind of contrasts what Jason Isbell believes in and see and kind of like stands on. And uh, he had such a fascinating answer to this. Uh, he talked about how what he created and it's a little bit different because songs are covered all the time nobody mm-hmm. covers a movie you know yeah, like that's right right copyright but yeah. at the same time you're talking about your 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 creative thing and what's going to happen with that thing yeah. afterwards and and his uh, stance on it was that he created something you know beautiful enough and worthwhile enough that somebody else wanted to make theirs sure and i thought that was really really moving yeah uh, to look at it like that because in that particular instance, he, most of us, and he probably felt immediately at the same way until he thought through it. He's like, this isn't how I wanted to go. Right. This isn't, this isn't it. Right. But to be able to get to that spot where it's like, you yeah. know, I created this thing and then I did it because I, I wanted to, you know, probably change the world. Yeah. Right? Share it with the world. Yeah. Yeah. And once it's there and it exists, you lose all control mm-hmm. of it. It's true, of. yeah. And that's what, just what I thought about as mm-hmm. you were saying that. It's like, uh, you know, the, the birdie flies sometime, right? Yeah. And that's why you made it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel protective of it, but at the same time, like, why? You know, yeah. like, <laughs> it, I guess I was thinking too of like my projects as like my children because it is like, something that I'm like, you know, grown and cultivated and like then release. And then it's like, now what happens? It's kind of out of my control, you know, but you're right. Like I, I shouldn't be so, I guess I shouldn't be so worried about like, cause I made it for people to watch. So yeah. like, I shouldn't be like, so. people got to see. Yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> the thing I, throw it on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing I'd be worried about is trying to recoup some of the fundage uh, yeah, <laughs> that, right. that it costs to make it happen. Right. I uh, think I did that film for like five grand. That was it. Really? Yeah. Travel and everything? Travel and everything. That's amazing. Maybe it was 10, but yeah, it was like cheap, cheap, cheap. It'd be hard to get there for five grand right. now. Mm, probably. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you mentioned that earlier, uh, renting equipment versus buying equipment. Did, yeah. did you rent equipment there or did no. you travel with it all? I traveled with it and it was, so that was the other thing I'm too. I'm surprised like, that wasn't five grand. <laughs> like, 
They get well, you with those weight things. Um, so we just, we took them in carry-ons. So we didn't even check, we didn't check any bags. So like I, we had like bare bones, like gear wise, like nothing. And that was, it was actually mostly because, um, like they would ask you questions. So like, you know, what do you got in your, like, where are you going? Like where, what do you have in your bags? Like, because when you, we flew into the Dominican. So then when we were leaving that country to go into the next country, it was very much like, you know, like, oh, you have camera gear? Like, what are you doing with that? So it was, we had to kind of be like quiet about it and secretive and just say like, oh, we're, we're visiting friends and family. Like, and cause if they would have, I mean, they could have just confiscated stuff too. Like, because it's kind of the wild west in those countries. Like people will just take stuff. So that was really scary. Think about how devastating that would have been. Oh my God. Well, and, and then how much I would have to like, I would have to pay the, you know, company that I rented the gear from for the whole, the whole thing, like for the lost gear. It's like, oh my God, I can't even think about that. Yeah. Maybe a little bit less stress with this project. Yes. In that way, oh, at least. So much. Yeah. 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 No traveling, no feeling dumb because I don't know what people are saying around me. Like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you had to, uh, if you had to describe the feeling now of what you're feeling about your project, how would you put it into words with gold? Um, <clears throat> I'm just like so excited to have the opportunity to like tell these stories. I mean, I, um, I've come a long way with myself learning a lot. Um, and also like, I just want, um, and it's not, you know, people always say like, oh, do you want like men to have a certain reaction to like when they see the film? And it's like, no, I, like, I mean, I know women who are, you know, like, I'm not going to watch that, like, or, you know, like uncomfortable with dancers and, and whatnot. But I just want like society to, I want this to change the way society looks at dancers. And like, I want to touch as many people and, you know, change their minds or open their minds, I guess, to... Um, that, you know, these are all someone's daughter, you know, these are all women who are getting themselves out of really tough situations through this temporary job in their lives. You know, it's like, it shouldn't be such a, oh my gosh, you know, we can't look at the strip club. I can't talk about the strip club. Like keep driving. Don't stop at the strip club. But it's like, why not? You know, like I, I think that, um, I just want to like open people's eyes and minds to, like we can talk about this stuff and we can learn about it and understand where these women are coming from and hear their stories and support them too. So. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so much value in long form conversation. Mm -hmm. There is. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> yes. Paige, it was awesome chatting with you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. It was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm sure you're going to have a fantastic, uh, just experience with creating the documentary and there has to be a captive audience ready to take it in. And I, and I hope, uh, I hope you let them. Yes. <laughs> Thanks. Paige. I, and I'm just grateful because, you know, I felt like I haven't had quite a platform to talk about this, you know, locally, I guess, in the community. And I'm just really grateful that you approached me and wanted to have this conversation. So thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for giving me a voice. My pleasure. <laughs> Thanks Paige. <laughs>